You're listening to Midori House, first broadcast on the 6th of August 2018 on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to Midori House, coming to you live from Studio One here in London. I'm Georgina Godwin. On today's show, Donald Trump admits his son met a Russian lawyer to get dirt on his opponent, Hillary Clinton, but claims it was legal. We'll be looking at the collusion investigation. And... They've tried to assassinate me today. And I have no doubt that this point to the extreme right in Venezuela, in alliance with Colombia, and that Colombia president Juan Manuel Santos is behind this attempt. Nicolas Maduro of Venezuela claims he knows who tried to kill him with an exploding drone. My guests Mary Dijewski and Carol Walker will be discussing these and the day's other top stories, including the spat between Canada and Saudi Arabia and Russia's latest celebrity envoy. That's all to come here on Midori House with me, Georgina Godwin. Welcome to Midori House and thanks to my guests Mary Dijewski, a columnist for The Independent and The Guardian, and the political analyst Carol Walker for joining us today. Now, is special counsel Robert Mueller's net around US President Donald Trump closing? New developments around Donald Trump Jr.'s meeting with a Russian lawyer have stirred up the issue again and it's not looking great for the president. Mary, what are the facts of the meeting as we know them? I mean, I know they've flip-flopped around, but, but we have established now, I think, what happened. Well, we've sort of established what happened, um, but what it means is something quite different. Um, what seems to have happened is that Donald Trump Jr. Um, met a Russian citizen by the name of, I think, Natalia Vysilitskaya, um, who may or may not be well connected to the Kremlin hierarchy. And she may have or may not have been there to discuss, first of all, question of Russian orphans being adopted in the United States, which was a subject of great contention between the two countries at the time, or to dish some election dirt on Hillary Clinton, which for some reason the Russians might or might not have had access to. Now, the meeting took place. That is known. Um, I think almost anything else about it is really not known. Um, It seems to be that um, one or possibly the only pretext for the meeting was an offer to um, divulge some compromising details about Hillary Clinton and her campaign. Um, But there doesn't seem any doubt about the fact that whatever those details may or may not have been, um, they weren't actually handed over or they didn't exist. Um, So that particular point of the meeting appears not to have happened. And in that case, um, then... All the accusations that have been flying all over again this past weekend to the effect that Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, is hugely worried that his son may have contravened the law in some way, that this is getting very close to proof that there was indeed collusion between the Russian state and the Trump campaign. Um, it seems to me that we're very, very far from proving that. But what's interesting is that Donald Trump has come out today and said that his son met this Russian lawyer 
to get information on an opponent. Now, until now, we were told, oh, they were discussing this problem about the adoption of Russian children. And the fact that Donald Trump today has said it was to get information on an opponent does seem to suggest that, well, not necessarily laws have been broken, but certainly it's come pretty close to it. American laws say that during an election campaign, you can't get any material help from any outside, any foreign country. Um, This would suggest that Donald Trump Jr. might at least have been seeking that. So certainly I think that those comments from Donald Trump today make it even more likely that the Mueller investigation is going to really want to call Donald Trump himself, find out what he knew. Um, Donald Trump, of course, is insisting that uh, there's been no collusion, that the only collusion was between the Russians and Hillary Clinton, of course, his opponent. Um, But this does shed a further doubt on President Trump's constant assertions that the Russians didn't influence that campaign. Well, I think there's there's two questions here. I mean, one of them is um, what status did Natalia Vizilitskaya have? Um, was she operating, as it were, on behalf of the Russian government or wasn't she? Um, and the other thing is, I think in all these allegations, you have to turn things on their head and say that um, what if this had been somebody dishing the dirt for the Clinton campaign about Donald Trump? And of course, we know that that actually happened. And indeed, there was foreign intervention in doing that because the dodgy dossier, as it's now being called, was compiled by none other than an ex-British Secret Service guy, Christopher Steele. And that was the document which made its way eventually to the FBI. Um, But this was actually commissioned by the Clinton campaign. So, you know, we've got, as as it were, mirror images here, and you can't impugn the one without impugning the other. It seems to me that these are directly parallel, uh, parallel incidents. Are either illegal, though? That is the question. Um, And the question whether um, a foreign agent um, on either side um, was actually colluding, doing anything that could materially influence the campaign. I think the one thing that is also often lost in all these claims about the Trump campaign is that this meeting happened in June 2016. June 2016 was just about the time that Trump had clinched the nomination, but he hadn't been um, consecrated as the candidate. Um, It was two months before the Republican convention and his nomination was in doubt right up until the convention. Indeed, June 2016, the idea that Donald Trump was going to be elected president of the United States um, was millions miles from most people's imagination. Um, And I think that if it had been, um, if it had been envisaged by even people so close to his campaign as his son as being a possibility, um, they might have taken a closer interest in the small print of the rules. But I don't think anybody dreamt that Donald Trump had the slightest chance of being elected president. Carol, we know, though, that there was a lie then. I mean, they said it was adoption. It wasn't. And I think you have to set this in the context of so many of the other things that we've been hearing about those other key aides around Donald Trump. We've got this very high-profile 
trial of Paul Manafort going on at the moment. We know that there were a whole series of other meetings. We then had this extraordinary meeting between Donald Trump and President Putin where Donald Trump, Trump said, well, I don't see there's any reason why why would the Russians have got involved in that presidential campaign? And then a few weeks later, he said, oh, well, actually, I should have said wouldn't. And I think there are so many huge questions. Undoubtedly, Robert Mueller is going to be looking very, very closely indeed at this meeting between Donald Trump Jr., but not just that, a whole host of other meetings. He's already pursuing many of Donald Trump's closest aides. And clearly, it would seem that these latest pronouncements from Donald Trump on this particular meeting makes it even more likely he's going to want to try and uh, question the president himself. Mm. Mary, you, you made the point that, in fact, the other side was doing it too. Donald Trump has called this a witch hunt. Uh is it? Or did Russia interfere in the election? Well, I mean, I've been deep sceptic um, from the very beginning that Russia interfered in the election um, because it seems to me that there would be nothing further from... You know, in Russia's wildest dreams, um, the Kremlin would never have dreamt that it could intervene to manipulate or engineer the result of a US election. That was except, so that way beyond to, except that the Russians are trying to create chaos around the but world. But the idea that and the Russians wanting Trump to be elected. And I mean, there's I think that, nothing that, that's that just... has gone in. It, it really has played into their hands because Donald Trump, just as the Russians would like, is going in there being a disruptive force in so many of those international institutions. That is all music to the ears of President Putin. Yes, but that's the platform on which Donald Trump was elected by his own people. That was the platform they wanted to see him pursuing and which he's been blocked from doing since he was elected by the Washington establishment, not by the people out there in the country at large who are still behind him and were behind him after um, this um, contentious summit in Helsinki. He still has the support of the people who elected him. We are going to come back to both Trump and Putin a little bit later, I promise you. But first, on Saturday, there was an apparent uh, attempted assassination attempt on the Venezuelan president, that's Nicolas Maduro. He was addressing a military parade in the capital, Caracas, when several drones armed with explosives flew towards him. Now, he's blamed the attack on far-right groups and Juan Manuel Santos, the outgoing president of Colombia. Six people have been arrested. Carol, did you see that footage with the army running away? It was quite extraordinary, wasn't it? There was some really dramatic footage of this. It appeared from what we saw on television as though there was some kind of drone strike. There was this huge parade lined up listening to Nicolas Maduro, who was making one of his usual rallying cry speeches. And there was panic and the serried ranks scattered in all directions. Um, within less than an hour or two, Nicola Maduro was back on stage claiming this was an attempt to try to derail his revolution blaming those right-wing elements, blaming the Colombians. Um, but so far, there doesn't seem to be any hard evidence to show who may have carried this out. Um, there have been 
six arrests made. Uh, the Colombians have denied being involved. The Americans have denied they had anything to do with it. There has been a claim of responsibility from an obscure group called the Soldiers in T-shirts, but nobody seems to have been able to verify that. Um, clearly, Nicola Maduro is a man who's got a great many enemies. Um, but the truth behind this assassination attempt, uh, there are so many potential explanations and conspiracy theories around at the moment um, that you can simply take your pick. Mm. Barry, why Colombia? Why is he blaming Colombia? Because Colombia has... Because it's seen as the sort of, at the current stage, as the sort of devil incarnate and the the country that would like to do do Venezuela down um, and is, if you like, seen as the enemy number one. Anything um, can be blamed on Colombia. Um, so it can be seen as highly convenient. And one of the things that struck me so much about this, um, aside from the um, the mass ranks of the um, uh, of the supposedly loyal troops basically running away, um, was the, um, the the doubt that almost immediately set in um, about the um, the veracity of the official version, the rush to blame Colombia, um, and I think maybe on the part of the Western media, at least, um, a little bit of caution has set in. You know, after you remember the case of the um, Russian-Ukrainian journalist who sort of was suddenly resurrected after being killed off and everybody blaming the Russians. Well, I think there's there's a little bit more caution now um, about these rushes to, um, rushes to blame obvious culprits when something happens. Mm. Um, the other thing that struck me very much about this was the speed with which um, the John Bolton came out for the United States to deny that the US had anything to do with it. And he did it on camera. Um, and I just thought it was extraordinary that the United States felt the need to say that so quickly, um, as if, you know, OK, so Colombia was first in the frame, um, but maybe second in the frame was going to be the United States, which has made absolutely no secret um, of its sort of hatred and loathing for the Maduro regime. You know, they're not popular, are they? Uh, well, indeed. And of course, uh, the Venezuelan president has many enemies in his own country. I mean, this is a, a revolutionary leader who has acted brutally against any of his own political opponents. Hundreds of them have been locked up. You have got rampant hyperinflation, people queuing around the block to try to get even basic uh, supplies. Um, and human rights are being brutally suppressed in the country. So Certainly, there are many within his own country who are deeply unhappy about the way their country is being run. Um, and it's interesting that there was a report today um, from firefighters at the scene who cast doubt on the claim that this was a drone that had fired some kind of missile. They were saying that there was some sort of gas tank explosion which spread panic amongst the crowd. So I think it, the difficulty is in a country like Venezuela, where it is almost impossible for a free press to operate properly, to carry out proper investigations, it is going to be very, very difficult indeed to get to the truth. And in that 
kind of climate of fear which has been generated there. The president is going to play this for his own ends, accusing all his outside enemies of being out to get him and quite possibly using this attack as a further excuse to clamp down further on any of his political opponents at home. Yeah, I mean, Mary, we don't know, as as Cal points out, if it was actually a a drone or not. If it was, that's a a massive lapse in security or could conceivably be, it could, you know, they're relatively new, perhaps it's a weapon that nobody can be expected to anticipate. Yes, well, I think this is very interesting. I mean, remember, I mean, I can't remember how long ago it was, a couple of years ago, um, when there was a mini drone that was let loose at somewhere where Angela Merkel was speaking as Chancellor of Germany. Um, And there was quite a flurry on the platform. And it was noted at the time that this was obviously something that shouldn't have happened, that it was a breach of security, but that it was the sort of thing that is going to be very, very difficult to apprehend. Mm. And so if you see this, which was obviously considerably more serious, um, if it was a drone, um, and obvious with a sort of extreme malevolent intent, um, then it does look as though um, there's going to have to be, people are going to have to develop ways of neutering um, that particular threat. But you can bet they've been working on it and they'll be working on it at double the pace now. And of course, the West have used drone strikes against Islamic State targets uh, in Syria and elsewhere to devastating effect. Uh, This, if it was a drone, that would... Um, suggest that it's more likely to have been some kind of foreign actor who was involved in that simply because most of those uh, local opponents of the Venezuelan president are perhaps less likely to have such sophisticated technology at their fingertips. But uh, it's, it's unclear from the footage whether the drone actually carried out an attack. And I think that's part of the mm. continuing mystery at the heart of this apparent assassination attempt. In the, in the bigger picture, there's a very interesting debate been going on, I think, for, for, for a couple of years now in the sort of defence establishment um, about whether there needs to be international treaties of the sort of arms control type treaties um, to deal with drones. And, of course, so long as drones were basically the um, monopoly preserve of Western countries against enemies, um, terrorists in Afghanistan and um, nether regions of Pakistan, then people sort of turned a blind eye to that, or at least they did on the Western side. But if it looks as though the use of drones is going to be much more current, much more widespread, and not limited to, as it were, friendly countries and state operators, then we're going to see maybe a move towards some sort of um, international discussion, at least, um, of some way of regulating this. You're listening to Midori House. Here with me, Georgina Godwin, Mary Dijewski and Carol Walker. Coming up next, why Saudi Arabia is cutting its ties with Canada. What is it like to be a city forgotten and rediscovered? Monocle Films travels to Gunsan in South Korea to bear witness to its urban revival. Here, natives and newcomers are creating quirky bars, art spaces and a bright future for this charming coastal outpost. Gunsan, building on the past, playing now in the film section at monocle.com. Now, last week, the government of Canada called for the release of human rights activists in Saudi Arabia. 
prompting the Gulf Kingdom to expel the ambassador and freeze all new trade with Canada. Well, let's unpack this story a little more. Still with me, Mary Dijewski and Carol Walker. Um, who is being held and on what grounds, Carol? Well, it's fascinating, this, because this spat between Saudi Arabia and Canada does really seem to be escalating. Um, Saudi Arabia is freezing all new trade and investment with Canada. Um, It has now said that it's going to expel the Canadian ambassador. It's recalling its own envoy. And at the heart of this seems to be this crackdown in Saudi Arabia against activists for women's rights. Now, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has been getting quite a lot of uh, plaudits in the West for his decision, for example, to allow women to drive, which one would think in most parts of the world, of course, is is accepted. But this was seen as a big step forward. Um, But even as he was introducing that new law, relaxing the ban on women drivers, He was arresting, locking up some of the women who had been calling for exactly that kind of reform. I mean, it is worth remembering that there are still a lot of restrictions on women in Saudi Arabia. They've got to adhere to this very strict dress code. Uh, They have to have written permission from a male guardian uh, if they want to go out on their own. They've got to have someone like a, a, a husband or their father accompanying them if they want to go out and travel and work and maybe attend uh, health appointments. Uh, and the Crown Prince now seems to be arresting many more of the women who are campaigning for further reforms to to say it's not simply enough to do these token gestures of allowing women to drive if there are still so many restrictions. And it seems to be the arrest of one of these uh, campaigners, Samar Badawi, who is a Saudi-American, which has prompted this really big fallout with Canada. And the big question now is how the United States is going to react to this. Mm. Well, MBS, or Prince Mohammed bin Salman, uh, has seemed to be modernising, as you say. um, uh, Is this an example of a very confused foreign policy or just a hugely authoritarian leader, Mary? Well, it does look very confused because it looks as though um, the regime in Saudi is is breathing hot and cold, that it made the gesture on women driving, but at the same time, it wouldn't go any further. Um, On the other hand, you can say, well, you know, maybe... um, women activists quite rightly um, decided that here was an opportunity, that driving was just the first, that they were going to go for other things, specifically, as I understand it, this question of guardianship, um, and that by pushing extra, as it were, on that, then they incurred the wrath of the regime, which said, well, you know, we've given you something, you're not satisfied with that. Um, But the other interesting thing to, to me is that It's been quite hard in the past um, to imagine Canada incurring the wrath of anybody, Mm. of Canada getting itself into what is really a very nasty diplomatic standoff. Now, it's not difficult to imagine anybody getting into a standoff with Saudi Arabia, but Canada has a reputation for being a sort of nicer, kinder, softer version of diplomacy than almost anybody else. Um, And yet here it is in this sort of um, 
mutual ambassadorial expulsions. Um, and one of the things that's interesting is that um, its foreign minister, who was formerly the trade minister, um, is Christian Friedland, who obviously is a woman and who has taken um, the feminist cause to her job as Canadians, Canada's foreign ministry. And we've seen in the past that there's been a bit of friction when there have been women foreign ministers. I think there was an incident in um, uh, with Sweden um, a couple of years ago, um, again, in relation to Saudi Arabia. And it's interesting that, you know, in the past, we've thought of disputes over human rights, say, with Russia, with China. Um, they've been over particular freedoms, but not freedom for women. Now, suddenly, with maybe more um, feminist foreign ministers, um, we're seeing women's rights coming right up the agenda on the mainstream diplomatic stage. Um, and it's very interesting that Canada, as I say, that you wouldn't expect to put itself in an adversarial relationship like this, that Canada is right up there. And do you think it'll escalate, Carol? Well, what will be fascinating is to see how the Saudis respond to this and how the Canadians do. Uh, at the moment, uh, the Canadians seem to be acting in a fairly restrained way. The uh, statement from the Canadian foreign minister foreign ministry says that it's gravely concerned about additional arrests of civil society and women's rights activists and urges the Saudi authorities to immediately release them and all other human rights activists. But I think what's fascinating in all of this is the repercussions for Saudi Arabia, which of course has positioned itself as the one country in the Middle East that does have very close ties until now, at least, not just with Canada, but with the United States. There's a lot of controversy about uh, the close UK-Saudi relationship, which is based on a lot of really big defence contracts. This is at a time when the Saudis are coming in for a lot of criticism over their role in the war in Yemen. And clearly, uh, Mohammed bin Salman has, has set out to try to burnish his credentials as this westernised country in the Middle East, a country where he wants to encourage trade and investment with so many other countries in the Western world. And I think that he will be really concerned that this row with Canada could really undermine all those efforts. So finally, I um, I promised you that we'd go back to <laughs> to Putin and Trump, and in a way, that is what we're doing. So the Hollywood action movie star Steven Seagal said last year in an interview that for anyone to think that Vladimir Putin had anything to do with fixing the elections, or even that the Russians have that kind of technology, is stupid. Well, he's been rewarded. Uh, Mary, the, the actor, <laughs> he has Russian roots. He became a Russian citizen in 2016. He's now been announced as a special representative on. US-Russian humanitarian ties. Is it a surprise? Um, well, I think it's a bit of a surprise in one way that Russia saw fit to um, appoint anything like a sort of a special envoy for relations with the United States or with anybody. Um, I had to sort of smile a bit about this and wonder whether there was... There have been various sort of signals that Russia seems to have been trying to send that maybe it's interested in um, trying to exert something which hasn't been associated with Russia very much hitherto, which might be called a little bit of soft power. Now, the problem here is that it seems to me that if this is 
is what it was um, thinking of doing um, with Stephen Seagull, then really his his whole image um, as a film star um, and a martial arts expert and all sorts of things about his character really don't particularly recommend him for that oh, role. Oh, I don't know. I mean, he was big bo- box office in the 1990s. <laughs> and uh, all these screen characters were nearly all apparently these benign individuals who, when things get tough, they turn out to be deadly secret CIA operatives. And, and I mean, they, they or retired special forces soldiers. I and mean, this just fits entirely with Putin, what Putin likes, doesn't he? The, you know, the strong man. I, I, I think he might be um, just fitting the bill, absolutely. Yes, Who? but I think he may fit Putin's bill. The question is <laughs> whether he fits the diplomatic <laughs> well, bill, for, as it were. You know, in Trump the, in will the, like another outsider. In the common <laughs> parlance, sort of reaching out um, to his American compatriots. Um, and I'm not quite sure that's going to go down quite as well. Who might you have chosen? We don't have much time, but give me your suggestion. Oh, I can't even begin to think about who, who, who they might have <laughs> what um, chosen. What about Gerard Depardieu? Isn't he become a Russian citizen? <laughs> he could perhaps do it. Well, well, I was wondering whether he might approach somebody like Roman Abramovich, who is a big mate of President Putin's, um, of course, a man of his own huge independent wealth. Um, I think he was worth around um, 11 billion US dollars at the last count. Uh, he's um, quite well connected with the West, of course, owns the Chelsea Football Club here in London. London uh, and has got a bit of political experience. But if Putin couldn't get him, he could always try Alex Salmon. Now, Alex Salmon (laughs) used to be First Minister of Scotland here in the United Kingdom. Uh, He now appears regularly on the Russia Today television network. He gets a lot of flack for that. Um, But he seems to be uh, quite happy to go out there and uh, defend President Putin. He's a redoubtable political campaigner, so maybe President Putin could do a lot worse than Alex Salmon. Just not try to send him to England. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That uh, brings us to the end of today's show. Mary Dijewski and Carol Walker, thank you very much for joining us here at Midori House. The show is produced by Fernando Augusto Pacheco, researched by Anna Sebeka and our studio manager was Christy Evans. More music next, the Monocle Culture Show coming up and the Monocle Daily at 2200 London time. Midori House is back at the same time tomorrow. That's 1800 London time. I'm Georgina Godwin. Thank you for listening.